Okay, it's time to discuss <sighs> bonds, boring bonds, stodgy bonds, reliable bonds. Hmm. No, not James Bond. No, bonds represent loans to corporations, corporate bonds, companies. State and local governments, as we've said, the state of California, the city of Chula Vista, Southwestern Community College issues bonds. We make loans. We don't go to a bank. Neither does the Treasury, the government. These large corporations, these state and local municipalities, school districts, water authorities, bridge authorities, they and the federal government, they go to the investment community and say, hey. You know, we're large enough so that we will issue our own loans. We don't have to go to a bank. And will you lend money to us? And bondholders, bond investors say, sure. What do I get for it? Well, you get interest on the loan and you get a promise to repay the bond. And it's usually between 2, 5, 10, 20, 30 or more years. Bondholders, like a mortgage, think of it like a mortgage, but it's a it's a mortgage for a corporation or a state and local government or the federal government. And of course, other governments and other entities outside the United States issue bonds also. Bondholders are first in line for repayment if there is default on the loan. What does that mean? They get first dibs. Well, they you have to pay the taxes and payroll first, but when a corporation goes bust, the bondholders all get in a line, and they usually get something. But by the time the bondholders have picked off, picked over the, the goodies, what's left for the stockholders? Right, the stockholders get nothing. They're at the back of the line. That's why when a corporation goes through bankruptcy, usually the stockholders lose everything. Bond prices are less volatile than stocks, but they still fluctuate? Huh? How could a loan go up and down? Wait, we're going to discuss that. And the average returns over decades, we used to say 4, 5, 6, 7%, 8% sometimes. And we'll see bonds that are paying that, or at least used to, 40, 50 years ago. Because that's what happened after World War II. Bonds used to pay 5, 6, 7% or so, lower bond, lower interest rates for state and local governments and the federal government and higher interest rates for corporations. But in the last few years or so, bond pro actually it's been 20 years in the making, but bond prices have just skyrocketed, which means the yields, the, the, the interest rates have gone down. And we'll see how that works. Um, as we go through a couple of, um, of ancillary presentations, which I want you to watch, the the uh, what happened to Ford and what happened to the the school district of Poway. Mm -hmm. Okay, bond investments are good intermediate term and long term investments for some people, and there's a way for bonds to be short term, but we don't discuss that in this class. We discuss that more in in Business 123 Introduction to Investments. So slide 30. Why do investors buy bonds? Well, we buy bonds normally for interest income. Bond holders, bond investors are loaners. They're lending their money and they know the interest rate. They usually get paid twice a year, but all sometimes bonds pay every month, but usually bonds pay every six months. And that's why we call bonds fixed because we know what our interest rate is 
and we know we're going to get paid back that principal, although there is always the risk of default. Normally, the risk of default is very small. If the risk is high, the bonds are usually referred to as non-investment grade bonds or junk bonds or distressed or speculative bonds. But the common phrase is junk. <laughs> and the bond may appreciate. What? Wait a minute. You may be able to sell the bond to someone else at a higher price if the interest rate on the bond is higher than the current market rate. Why? you? My head's ready to explode. What are you talking about? Yes, dear students, bond prices go up and down every day, just like stock prices, but nowhere near as volatile. They don't go as up as high every day and they don't go down as down as low as every day as stocks do it's far less volatile but they can go up in value they can also go down in value and we'll discuss this in detail soon enough why should the entity sell the bonds why would they want to borrow money well for the same reason that we borrow money but it's just, there's a whole lot more zeros, right? <laughs> to raise money to operate or expand. They want to build a new factory, expand into a new country, build new or upgrade older schools, bridges, finance a war, big ticket items. As we said, we didn't hold a bake sale to, <laughs> to build that uh, stadium out there. We had to borrow the money and we did it through bonds. So you could actually buy Southwestern Community College bonds. Hmm? Think about it. And actually, I'm going to ask you to do a little bit of research, and hopefully you'll take a look at Southwestern's bonds. We're rated quite highly, I must say. And they're going to get a better interest rate than they went to a bank, if they went to a bank or a money lending entity. And sometimes they just can't go to a bank. Can you imagine the federal government asking your local credit union for a $900 billion loan to invade Iraq or to... Yeah, right. They just, you know, they, they can't go to the the banks. The banks will say, well, we don't have that much money. Almost every election year in California, the voters are asked to approve a bond proposition for parks, schools, water projects, uh, the bullet train, uh, the, um, stem cell research, emergency, trade, public safety equipment. The state of California then, if the voters approve, sell the bonds to pay for the project and must pay the interest and pay back the principal over 30 years. We had to, we meaning the Southwestern Community College, we had to go to the voters of the South Bay and say, hey, is it okay if we raise your taxes, because that's what we do to pay for the bonds, right, to pay back the bonds, raise your taxes over the next 30 years to fix up Southwestern Community College, and the voters have invariably, the last three times, have said yes, thank you very much, voters. Cool. Do you think most people understand when they're voting on that bond proposition that they're actually voting to? I don't think most people understand, but now you do. And you can tell your friends and family because you are the financial guru for their for your friends and family. And it is a very serious responsibility. Slide 32. In the case where the bond issuer is a corporation, Sometimes it is difficult, not advantageous, or impossible to sell stock because you'd rather sell stock, right? Because you don't have to pay it back. When you sell stock, if you're a corporation, you sell stock and it's out there. And if, and if it does well, great. And if it doesn't do well, well, you don't, not, not your problem. Well, you, you don't want it to do poorly. You, you want the corporation to do well because most of the time you're rooting for your 
employer. The interest is a tax-deductible expense, whereas we'll see dividends to stockholders are not a taxable expense. So, so some companies would rather issue bonds. And they like to take advantage of what's called financial leverage. This is where you use other people's money to make your money. And we'll see this when we get to real estate investment, investing, because that's what is typically done in real estate investment investing. You use leverage. Bonds are debt financing, whereas corporations, municipalities, or the federal government are borrowing for many of the same reasons that investors borrow for, to finance their operations. Stocks are equity financing, which is another fancy word for ownership. A corporation is selling a piece of itself to finance the operation of the government of the company. I'm sorry, of the finance the operation of the company. Governments don't issue stocks because you can't sell a piece of Chula Vista. I mean, you can if Chula Vista owns property or you know whatever land or something, they can sell that, but they can't sell Chula Vista. It's a it's an entity. It's a governmental entity owned by the public, right? It's a public entity. So slide thirty three. Some of the characteristics of bonds. Well, the, the bond is a written pledge to repay a specified amount, the face value, the par value of money with interest. And it's typically $1,000. Bonds are sold in $1,000 pieces. I know that's what they, that's the term they use. I didn't make it up. And um, you're going to get your $1,000 back when the bond matures. Some are sold in $5,000 and $10,000 increments, but most bonds are sold in $1,000 increments. And that will always be the case in this class, okay? Always the bond par value, the face value will always be a thousand. Okay, bondholders receive the interest payments, and we said every six months. Usually, some bonds pay every month, but most bonds pay every six months. And the legal conditions are described in the bond indenture. The indenture is the loan agreement. You can think of it like the mortgage doc, and there's a trustee that watches over the the bondholders. Uh, bonds. They watch over the, the bond issuer and make sure they don't do anything, you know, nasty or, or illegal. For example, when we sold the bonds, when we, when we asked the voters if we could sell the bonds, part of this, the bond indenture said that that money must go to fixing up the campus. We can't use it for a, for a pay raise, for example, for, for, for teachers, which they didn't do, which because again, it's not legal. They would the trust the trustee would find out and uh, and uh, we'd go to jail or so somebody would maybe not go to jail. Well, they should, but whoever did that should go to jail. But they didn't do it. Don't worry, we did other things where people should have gone to jail, but they didn't. Oh well. Uh, so uh, that's the the trustee. They're looking over for your best interest, you bond uh, investors. So what are the types of bonds? Well, it's very simple. They're very similar to, to loans that are made to individuals. But as we said, there's just a whole lot more zeros. There are secured bonds, mortgage-backed bonds sometimes, asset-backed. They go by various names. And it's a bond that is secured by various assets of the issuing firm, say railroads or planes, right, or other factories or things. And that's like a mortgage, right? If the bond issuer doesn't pay, the asset is seized. Whereas there are other bonds, debentures or debentures, I've heard it both ways. I think it's debenture, debenture, that are unsecured, like a credit card, right? They're just backed by the reputation of the company that's issuing it. And so if the bond holder defaults, if they, they can't make their payments, 
then the bond investors have to go ever go after whatever assets or income that they can find. And I included this not because it's really that important, because there's not that many of them, but there's these bonds called convertible bonds. Now, doesn't that sound sexy? Don't you want a convertible bond? Uh, no, you don't. They're, they're meant to have the advantages and disadvantages of bonds and stocks. I'm sorry, they're meant to have the advantages of bonds and stocks, but they also come with the disadvantages. So what happens with a convertible bond is if this company does really, really well, you can convert your bond into stock. But usually it never works out that way. It's kind of like having a convertible car, which sounds really exciting, and you've got your hair blowing through the wind and until you realize how much it's going to cost to replace the top that accidentally got hurt or whatever, or if it, it's raining and you can't get the top back up. Yeah, so convertible bonds never turn out as exciting as they sound. Not that they sound that exciting to begin with. Slide number 35, called the call feature of bonds. Corporations and municipalities can sometimes call in, buy back the outstanding bonds from current bondholders. Well, treasury bonds, never, never, never. But but corporate bonds and municipal bonds usually have a call feature. And most companies and most um, municipalities agree not to call in their bonds for five or 10 years. That's the deferred call or the call protection period. Bonds would be called in if the interest rates they're paying is higher than the current rate. The same idea we talked about back in chapter seven. If your mortgage is at 5 6% now, it behooves you <laughs> to go out there and find a mortgage broker or go to a bank or credit union because you can find a much better rate. We saw under 3% for some of you found under 25 2.6%. 2 wow. So it's the same idea with the bank. I mean, I'm sorry, with, with the corporation or the municipality. They want to get a better loan rate. So they will call in the bonds. They will pay off the bondholders and reissue the bonds at a lower rate. It's not good for bondholders, but it's great for the bond issuers. Slide number 36. How are bonds taxed? Well, bond interest is normally taxed at your marginal tax rate. Remember that from way back in Chapter 3? This is always true of corporate bonds. However, municipal bonds are not subject to federal income taxes and federal bonds are not subject to state income taxes. Why is that? Because in the Constitution, it says the feds, the federal government can't tax the states and the local governments and the local governments and the states can't tax the feds. They, they, they can't tax each other. So if you own a municipal bond, you don't pay federal income taxes. And if you own a state or, or local, I'm sorry, if you own a federal bond, you don't pay state or local income taxes. And this is an important feature, especially for wealthy investors, which we find are much more interested in municipal bonds. We will learn how to compute the taxable equivalent yield. Now, some municipal bonds are double tax free. What does that mean? If you buy a bond from your state, for example, California, the state of California says, cool, you're investing in California, whether it's a California bond or it's the city of Chula Vista or it's a Southwestern bond or anywhere up and down the state, all through the state. We, the state of California, will not charge you interest. So it's sometimes called double tax free. Now, the IRS doesn't like that term. They, they, um, 
<laughs> they like the term double tax exempt. They don't like the term tax free. Anyway, you have to be careful. If you're subject to the alternative minimum tax, the interest income from some uni bonds is no longer exempt from federal taxes. Now, I don't know how the feds got away with that, but somehow the courts have ruled that if you are, if you are, um, and if you are, congratulations, because that means you're making a lot of money. But if you're if you're subject to the alternative minimum tax, you may have to pay some um, income income tax on some municipal bonds. Okay, so here is where we learn how to calculate the taxable equivalent yield. And of course, there's a worksheet, and there's an answer key, and there's a commentary. So I want you to work through these. They're gonna be on the exam. And look, folks, just do your best. Don't worry about. Don't worry about getting it right. Try. I mean, obviously, if you have questions, ask me. But just don't leave them blank. Do them, and you'll see that they're really not that hard once you do them a few times. So what's the taxable equivalent yield? Well, that's very simple. We take the tax yield, right, the, the yield of the muni bond, and we divide it by 1 minus our marginal tax rate. Remember the marginal tax rate? I told you. You were going to want to forget about it, but you got to remember it because it's coming back here. Yeah, right. Here it is. It's important. So let's say you're in the 25% tax bracket and your muni bond is yielding 6%. Now, I know you go looking. You're not going to find any today that are yielding 6%. If they are, they're in deep trouble. But they used to. <laughs> so you get a 6% yield, but you're in the 25 tax bracket. So what happens? You take 0.06 divided by 1 minus 0.25. Now, remember to do the bottom first before you divide, folks. You got to do the bottom. We should really have parentheses around there. I might go back and put those things in. Okay. So you get 0.06 divided by 0.75, and your calculator will tell you that that's 0.08 or 8%. So what does that mean? That means you have to go out there and find a fully taxable corporate bond at 8% to get the same yield as a municipal bond at 6%. Well, wait a minute, Piano. That doesn't make any sense. The 6% bond is paying me 6% times $1,000 or $60. That's how it works. The 8% bond is paying me $80, 8%, $80 every year. Wouldn't I want the $80? Well, think about it. On the $80, you have to pay federal income taxes of 25%. 25% of $80 is $60. So your equivalent yield is 6%. You see the diff? You see how it works? That's how it works. So if your tax bracket is higher, it's going to be higher, the, the, the taxable equivalent yield. If your tax bracket is lower, it's going to be lower. So try it. Try it out. You'll see. You'll see. You'll see. And that's why these things are very popular with very wealthy individuals who are paying, you know, 30. Well, now the top rate is 35%, but it's supposed to go back up to 396 Who knows when that will happen? We'll see. Cool? Now, what happens if it's a – whoops, oops, 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 oops. Let's go. What happens if it's a – both federal and state, or sometimes called double tax free or double double tax exempt. Well, then we have to know the state rate. So let's say we're in the 25% federal rate, 8% state rate. Then what we do is we do the same formula, but now we add in the state rate. So we should have parentheses around the whole thing because you make sure you do the bottom first and then divide 0.06 by 1 minus this, which 0.25 and 0.08 is 0.33, 1 minus 0.33, 0.33, 0.33, 0.33, 0.33, 0.33, 0.33, 0.33, 0.33, 0.33, 0.33, 0.33, 0.33, 0.33, 0.33, 0.33
what is that 0.67 right make sure you make sure because i mess up right and it turns out that if you're in the if you're extended if you're a california resident you buy a california bond paying six percent and you're in a 25 percent federal bracket eight percent state bracket you're actually getting a yield of 8.95% of an equivalent fully taxable corporate bond. Does that make any sense? I hope so. And if not, don't worry. Stop the presentation. Go look at the assignment sheet. I mean, the worksheet, I'm sorry. And they're on the assignment sheet too. There, as I said, there's a, there's, a, uh, there's a commentary. There's a worksheet with answer keys. So do, do these things. They're not that hard, really. Why don't you do them enough times? And what I hope you'll find is that, you know, finance and investments, it's really not that hard on the surface. Once you get into it, you find that, it, oh, it can get very complex quickly. But but the on the surface, this stuff is really not that difficult. And um, it's like the game of backgammon. I don't know if you play backgammon. It's not that popular here on the West Coast, but it's very popular back east and throughout other parts of the world. At first, it's a very easy game, but then when you realize that there are people who play this game for money and it gets really quickly complicated because these people are good at knowing what the odds of when you roll the dice and oh my goodness, it's just, it's just, and that's the way investing is. On the surface, it really is not that hard. And there's the, there's an entire industry out there can, dedicated to convincing you that it's that hard and you'll never have the ability to do this so make sure you give all your money to us and we'll do it for you and charge you for anyway anyway so let's continue so make sure you do the worksheet okay and we're going to have more uh, problems ahead making the decision to buy or sell a bond we have to ask ourselves can the corporation municipality or the federal government pay back the face value of the maturity Will we receive our interest payments? And this is the same decision that a bank has to make when you go to them to get a loan. They look at you and they say, okay, what kind of risk are you? Well, whereas we have credit scores ranging from 350 to 850, depending on who you talk to, some of them range up, go up to 900 or some whatever. Um, the bond ratings are very different. They start off at triple A and then they go to double A and then they go to A. Then they go to triple B, double B, B, triple C, double C, C, and then they go to D. There's no triple D or anything. D is just means dead or default. There's no F. So it's not the same as A, B, C, D, F uh, for grades for school. They're grades for credit. And anything that's below triple B is called junk. Well, the real name is non-investment grade it's also called distressed bond or a speculative bond but what you're going to hear people say is it's junk and there are rating agencies standard and poor's moody's fitch and they are the ones that make the decisions about the ratings sometimes they do a very good job and sometimes they do a very bad job as in 2006 and 7 when they were rating these bonds that really should have been rated double B, they should have been considered junk, or maybe even B, they were rating them triple A. Why were they doing that? Well, because they were getting paid to rate them, and the people who were issuing them were saying, you're going to give us a good rate, aren't you? And Moody's and Standard & Poor's said, well, I guess so, sure. Internally, they were going, I hope this works out. Yeah, 
Did it work out? No. Those things quickly went from AAA down to B or whatever. And I like to think of these ratings as the idiot lights on your car's dashboard. What happens when you see the oil light come on? Yeah, I know you're supposed to stop, pull over, but don't just keep driving. The engine's going to be toast in two miles anyway. It doesn't matter. No, no, no. I'm, I'm teasing. Pull over immediately. And that's the same thing with here. By the time these guys, these rating agencies, rate your bond as below triple B, it's already too late. People have already you know, sold your bonds and now you're stuck holding the bag. If you want to sell them now, you're going to have to take a big haircut. The price is going to drop quickly. And we're going to see that in one of the ancillary, or two actually, where we take a look at Ford bonds and we take a look at uh, City of Poway bonds. Okay, so make sure you check out those and they're, they're, you'll see them. You'll see them. Okay, so remember that. Triple A, double A, A, triple B, double B, B, triple C, double C, C, and then D. Anything below triple B, junk bonds. Oh, by the way, um, above B, 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 <laughs> triple B and above is called investment grade. Yes. <laughs> in polite company. There's the bonds that we want to talk about in polite company. Now, slide 40. Okay, get your thinking hat on. I know it's a little tricky here. Uh, it gets people confused, even the people in the industry. There's an inverse relationship between interest rates and bond prices. Okay, think of the seesaw. If you think of that seesaw, you'll always get it right. If interest rates fall, bond prices rise. It's that simple. If interest rates rise, what's going to happen to bond prices? They're going to fall. That's how it works. It's Think of the seesaw. They can't go up at the same time. They can't go down at the same time. Since the interest rate in your bond does not change because the interest rate is fixed, remember we call bonds fixed income investments, the price of the bond reflects, I'm sorry, the price of the bond changes to reflect the change in interest rates within the financial industry because the price is not fixed. You can sell your bond. You, you bought it for 1000 when it came out, but now you might be able to sell it for 1200 or $800. This is a great source of confusion and consternation, like that word, to many in and out of the investment world. Well, how can a loan go up and down? Well, we're going to see. We're going to see how the $1,000 bond can go up and down. Slide 41. Now, again, I know you're not going to find today a bond paying 10%, but back in the 1980s, that was not unusual, especially for companies that were not, you know, not the best companies in the world. The best companies paid eight, some of them paid upwards of nine, 10%. And so you bought that bond back in 1983 <laughs> for $1,000, and you got $100 every month. Well, you got $50 twice a year. You got $100 every month. Not every month, every year. <laughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Let's start again. Slide number 41. You find a bond paying 10%. You bought it at $1,000 when it first came out. And you find that you're getting $100 every year. That's 10% of $1,000. That's why they use $1,000 pieces. It makes it very easy for you to know what interest you're getting every year. Well, you're actually getting $50 twice a year, okay? Now, what happens if interest rates fall to 5%? Interest rates have gone from 10% down to 5%. Now, bonds are only paying $50. 
An investor now has to pay $2,000. They have to buy two bonds to get that same $100 worth of interest. So now the result is your bond is worth far more than what it was when you bought it. Now, it's not going to sell for $2,000. Why? Because when the bond is redeemed, when you get your money back, you're only going to get $1,000 back. So it's not going to go up, twice, up in value twice, but it will go up, especially depending on how long it is until the bond matures. If you sold the bond now, you would have a capital gain. You could sell it eh, $1,400 maybe, or maybe you know more depending or less, depending on how much time is in the bond. You would sell it at a premium. It is a premium bond. What happens if the exact opposite happens? You bought the bond when interest rates were 5%. You are getting $50 a year, $25 every six months. And now interest rates rise to 10%. Now investors who buy a new bond at $1,000, they're going to get $100. They only have to pay half of that to get $50 worth of interest. So they're not going to give you $1,000 for your bond. If you needed to sell it, you would have to sell it at a large loss. You would have a capital loss. Now, you don't have to sell your bond, folks. You can continue to, to get the $50 every year, $25 twice a year, and then get your $1,000 back. But if you were to go out into the marketplace and say, who's going to buy my bond? They're not going to give you $1,000 for it. They can buy a new bond for $1,000 and get $100 worth of interest. You see how the prices of the bonds can go up and down? And they follow interest rates. If the interest rates rise, the bond prices fall. It's the seesaw. Cool? I think so. I think so. Think about it. It's, it gets people really, really upset. But once you think about it enough time, it makes sense. It does make sense because you're not going to pay $1,000 for somebody bond that's paying half what new bonds are paying. You go out and get the new bond. Right. You're not dumb. Sure. Slide four. <laughs> okay, so let's get to slide 43 and ask ourselves. So this is one of those ABCD things, ABC, but it's where it's not face-to-face. -face, so once upon a time, once upon a time, bought a corporate bond paying 8% four years ago. Today, the corporate bonds that are similar to Juan's bond are paying 6%. Would Juan be able to sell his bond for more than he paid for it, less than he paid for it, or the same amount he paid for it? Right. Interest rates fall. Bond prices go up. He could sell. He doesn't have to. He's not required to sell it. But if if he were to go out into the marketplace, he would find that people would pay more than the thousand dollars that he paid for it four years ago. Interest rates go down. Bond prices go up. The bond would sell at a premium. Now, let's take a look at problem number two. El Coco. <laughs> and the Anglos go, huh? Bought a treasury bond paying 5% two years ago. Today, like treasury bonds, are paying 7%. Would Senior Coco be able to sell his bond for more than he paid for it, less than he paid for it, or the same amount he paid for it? Right. He bought it when bonds were paying 5%. Now they're paying 7%. He would sell it for less than he paid for it. Interest rates go up. Bond prices go down. The bond would sell at a discount. Now, he's not required to sell his bond. He can hang on to it until it is redeemed for $1,000. But 
But if he were to go out to try to sell it, no one's going to give him $1,000 for it. Cool. So you got that. But if you don't, go back over it because I know it's a little tricky. But you will amaze your friends and family when you understand the interrelationship of interest rates and bond prices. Slide 45. The relationship of bonds and interest rates is why a bond will have different quoted rates. The nominal rate, also called the nominal yield, also called the coupon rate, huh? or the coupon yield, that's the rate the bond pays on the original amount. And that never changes. If it's a 7% bond, it will always be a 7% nominal yield. If it's a 3% coupon rate, it will always be a 3% coupon rate. Where does the term coupon come from? Well, it comes from a day many years ago when bonds used to have these little coupons attached to them. You bought a bond, you got this big document in your hands, and it had all these coupons. And every six months, you would clip the coupon and put it in an envelope and send it off to the company or the or the municipality, and they'd turn around and send you a check. <laughs> that was a long time ago, folks. They don't do that anymore. But they still use the term coupon rate. And that made it very easy for you to sell your coup your bond. You could just turn around and give it to somebody else. They'll pay you for it. And then they turn around and they put their name on it and they send the coupon in. Very cool, huh? Now, that's the nominal rate, sometimes called the named rate, the coupon rate, the coupon yield. That never changes. But the current yield or the current rate or the and the yield to maturity, they change all the time because interest rates are always changing every day. Now, they don't change as much as stocks, you know, prices change, but they do change. The current yield is the true rate of interest, interest that the bond buyer is currently getting today since it reflects the premium or the discount the price the buyer has to pay. The yield to maturity takes it one step further. That says, what if you were to buy that stock today and hold it until it matures? You understand? Because maybe you bought it at a premium, maybe you bought it at a discount, but when it matures, you're only going to get $1,000 back. So if you bought it at a premium, great, Go right ahead, but you're only going to get $1,000 back. Maybe you bought it at $1,200 or $1,300. You're only going to get $1,000 back. If you bought it at a discount, maybe $800, $700, you're going to get $1,000 back. So we have to take into account the fact that the money you get back when it matures is not what you necessarily paid for it. Now, there are times when the nominal rate, the current yield, the rate to maturity are all the same the bond is set to be selling at par. That means it's selling at $1,000. There's no premium, nor is there a discount. So all three of them would be the same. But that's very unusual, unless it's a new bond, in which case it's sold at $1,000. But older bonds, the prices are going up and down all the time. Makes sense? Think about it, and let's do some calculations. Because the current yield is actually very easy to calculate. You take the annual dollar amount of interest and divide it by the current market value. So say it's a 6% bond, but you had to pay $1,100 to get that bond. Well, that would be $60 divided by 1100 because a 6% bond pays $60. A 3% bond pays $30. A 1% bond pays $10. A 10% bond pays $100. Does make sense? I hope so. Just multiply it by 10, right? So 60 divided by 1100 is... 
0.545454. So remember, we use at least three digits of accuracy, sometimes four, when we discuss bond yields. So don't put just 5%. That, I mean, that, that's technically right. You round to 5%, but that's bad in the, in the world of bonds. You, that means anything between 4.5% to 5.5%. That's not a good, good thing. We want to see at least three digits, maybe even four. So 5.45%. You see, a bond selling at a premium has a current yield lower than its stated nominal rate. What happens if we buy a bond at a discount? Let's say we bought that same bond at $900 in the marketplace. We take the same $60 and divide by 900 and you get 0 0.6666666 or 6.67 or 6.667. It's up to you, but put at least three, maybe four digits of accuracy. So a bond selling at a discount has a current yield higher than its stated nominal rate. So when would you rather buy bonds? Bonds. Me, I'd rather buy them at a discount. But other people say, oh, it doesn't matter. I need to buy a bond. I'll buy it at a premium, whatever. Uh, I'm not a big fan of those. But that's why there's chocolate and vanilla. And some people like strawberry. Slide 48. Ay, Paquito, que es esto? What is that? <laughs> okay. Okay. It's the yield to maturity calculation. And I know it looks really scary, folks. But it's not. Once you've broken it down, we probably should put parentheses around this guy and parentheses around the bottom because, you know, people get confused. But you do, you got to do the, the addition and subtraction first. Then you do the division in the bottom and the division in the top or vice versa. And then you divide the whole thing by the bottom. Okay, so make sure I should really put some big parentheses around each, but I didn't. I apologize. So and it, don't worry, do your best, right? Now this looks really scary, but it's really not that scary. It's it's the current rate on the previous slide, but we add this these two little things up here, the 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 big thing on the right hand side in the top, and then we add the market value and the face value in the bottom. Why? Because when the bond matures, remember this is the yield to maturity, we're not going to get the market value. We're not going to get what we paid for it. If we paid $1,100 for it, we're only going to get $1,000. If we paid $900 for it, we're going to get $1,000. You see, the bond is going to mature at the par value. So that, or we use face value in this case, but they mean the same thing. So we take the same annual interest. And I like to do the bottom first. Doesn't matter how you do them, you decide, but I like to do the bottom first. I take the face value plus the market value and divide by two. What does that mean? Well, look, if you bought it at 900 and you redeem it at 1,000, we'll take the average. Whereas in the, in the previous slide, the previous formula, we used the market rate. Now we're taking the bottom and we're giving you the average between what we're going to get paid back and what we paid. The face value plus the market value divided by two. But in the top, what we're going to add to the annual interest is a different thing. And, and it gets people confused because there's a plus sign down here and a minus sign down here. But when you think about it, it's going to make sense, I hope. We take the face value, what we're going to get back, and we subtract what we had to pay for it, and then we divide it by the number of periods. And what does that give us? Well, in this case, we're going to get back a thousand. That's the par value, the face value. We paid 900 for it. 
And that's what? 1000 minus 900 for $100. So we're going to get back $100 more than we paid for it. And what we do is we divide that by the number of years. So how many years is it going to take to get back to 1000 It's going to take 10 years for this bond to get back to $1,000 when it matures. So if we take 1000 minus 900 that's $100, divided by 10, that's 100 divided by 10, that's 10. So we're going to add $10 every year to the annual interest. You see, you see what we're doing? It's a little tricky. I know it, and it looks scary. It looks scary, but it's not. It's actually very straightforward. We bought it at 900. In 10 years, it's going to be worth 1,000. So we're thinking we're going to add $10 a year to the price of the bond. Now, it's a little bit more complicated than that. This is just an approximation. In the real world, you use this, as, if you'd use this, and what and they do, they, we do this in the real world. In fact, this is used to be, I don't know if it's still on the, on the stockbroker exam. It used to be when I took the stockbroker exam. But now they have much more sophisticated ways of coming up with a more precise answer. This is an approximation. And it's, it's good enough because it's very close to the real answer. So do the worksheet, do it a few times, and realize that whatever you put on the exam, I'm going to accept, okay? I'm, <laughs> I may not give you full credit, but I'm going to give you something. So do your best. But if you do it enough times, of course, contact me. That's why we're here. We're here to help you. I get so lonely sometimes. I wonder, are they going to come? Please contact me. Nobody contacts me. Okay, that's enough of that. All right, so do the worksheet. There's an answer key, commentary, and, uh, and uh, have fun. Yeah, have fun. I hope you have fun. Slide number 49. Where do we buy bonds? Well, when a company issues bonds, it's very unlikely that most of us are going, little grunts, are going to get a chance to buy them in what's called the primary bond market. It's usually reserved for very wealthy investors, mutual funds, life insurance companies, sometimes banks. Um, but there is an exception. If you want to, you could buy treasury bonds directly from the treasury and you get the same price that the big boys and girls on Wall Street get. Very cool. And we, as I said, we do, we use this as a, as an assignment in, in, in the Business 123 Introduction to Investments class. It's a very good system. And by the way, uh, it's been copied by at least one other country. I met, I had the opportunity to meet the project manager from Mexico that said, yeah, we, we basically use treasurydirect.gov for our model. And now they call it uh, CETES Directo, CETES something or CETES. I can check it out. So I'm, well, it's on the Business 123 website uh, in uh, Chapter 1. Um, secondary bond. This is where you buy your bonds for we, we and we we little people don't usually buy bonds as we said, because you have to buy them through a broker or another investor who wants to sell. You pay a commission, but let's read it at the bottom. Very few investors participate in the bond markets. Why? Bond traders normally deal in hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. They want you to pony up at least twenty five thousand dollars preferably $100,000 or more. And when you look at the uh, the one um, um, uh, examples of bond issues that are that are being touted in the newspapers, you'll see $25,000 minimum. Uh -huh, I'll buy two. The major exceptions are federal treasury bonds because the small investor 
meaning money-wise, is welcome at treasurydirect.gov. Slide 50. How do most of us, but you're right, how do us grunts, we buy them through bond mutual funds? As we said in the previous uh, uh, presentation, we don't actually buy the bonds. The mutual fund managers buy them on our behalf. Uh, we With our $50 or $100, we buy a little bit of bonds from California, a little bit of bonds from Walmart, a little bit of bonds from the Treasury. Uh, as we said, bond traders are usually buying and selling in the millions of dollars. Pension funds, mutual fund managers, they get a much better deal because they are buying millions. Although, as we said, it's very easy to buy treasury bonds directly from the federal government at the same price that the big boys and girls on Wall Street get at treasurydirect.gov. And our final slide, bottom line on bonds. Bonds are good intermediate term investors. They're decent long term investors, especially for those who would have trouble sleeping at night if they were fully invested in stocks. Do we want to eat well or do you want to sleep well? Well, if you want to eat well and sleep well, reasonably well, you have some bonds and you have some stocks too. And we'll see that as we continue. But don't be fooled, dear students. Bonds have significant risks too, especially when interest rates are very low, like right now. At my age, I should have a whole lot more bonds than I do, my wife and I. But I just cannot get excited about these bond rates. And so I have some bonds, because I really should, but not too much. I still heavily invested in stocks. But I've lived through 2000 to 2002, lived through 2008 and teach 1987 <laughs> in the Business 123 class. And I was alive then. It was a very difficult day, October 19th, when the stocks of 1987, when stocks fell 22.6% in one day. So yeah, yes, yes. And that's our leads us to our next presentation, our next chapter, where we take... We indulge, we take a look at the exciting and sexy and risky world of stocks. Thank you so much for being in our class, dear students. We are so proud of you. And do that worksheet over and over and over again. Contact me if you have any questions and be awesome. You are now the financial gurus rising, rising gurus, for your friends and family and coworkers, and you can't let them down. I won't allow it. <laughs>